Good evening. Have a wonderful crowd this evening. Very thankful for the presence of all that are able to make it out, those that have traveled to be with us. We thank you very much for taking the time to be here. We've had a good day working uh, here at the congregation. The young folks are doing a, a tremendous job. We're going to continue in our series tonight of exercising yourself towards godliness. We began on Sunday by establishing the principle, establishing the need, and began to talk a little bit about the mindset. Last night we got into the heart, the mind, uh, and, and disciplining ourselves in our mind, taking responsibility for our thoughts, and, and learning as Christians not just to think about different things, but to think differently, to think through the mind of Christ, to think eternal, and, and to have that change who we are as our thinking pattern begins. Tonight, we're going to get a little bit more specific. We're going to talk about the tongue. If you have a Bible and you want to, we'll have these verses up on the board, but you might grab a Bible and go ahead and open to James chapter 3. We're going to reference back to that passage quite a bit tonight, and though not all of those scriptures as we reference back will be up here, so if you want to have that open when we reference back, that you could look at that. It might be a good idea. I want to say as we begin the study of the tongue that the Bible has an awful lot to say on this subject. In fact, it's kind of... Uh, mind-blowing a little bit when you step back and realize how much the Bible talks about how we use our tongue, how we speak, and what we say. And it's from the beginning to the end. There's a lot of information in there, and we're not going to cover every bit of it, but hopefully looking at James tonight, we'll be able to garner, garner some understanding about exercising ourselves towards godliness when it comes to how we use our mouth. We're going to, as I said, use James chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. And one of the things I've learned about the book of James is it's one of my favorite books. It's one of the first books I can really remember digging into and, and studying. And it, it deals with such basic fundamental Christianity. But one of the things I've learned the more I study the book of James is that James is just downright mean. James can be very mean because he gets down into the cracks and crevices of your life. He doesn't just say, hey, use good speech. He gets very specific. One of the things that we're going to find out tonight about the tongue is it's not just don't tell lies and don't have a, a potty mouth and foul language. It gets very specific, and there's a lot of things covered in there. So we're going to look at James chapter 3, beginning here in verse 5. The Bible says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire it kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith we curse men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded the blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Doth the fountain send forth at the same time, same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. As he begins here, he lays out for us a very descriptive picture of what the tongue is and he begins to indict them and you and I of saying listen if there's not a consistency with how the Christian uses his tongue there's a problem he ends it with this idea of that a fountain can't produce the same or two different types of water it's going to be one or the other 
And as we look at this, I want us to understand James has a lot to say about it. Now, if you'll just take a survey of the book of James, you'll see that already before we get to chapter 3 and after you get to chapter 3, he's listed several wrong ways and several correct ways that we can use our tongue. Beginning with the wrong, he talks about blaming God, speaking hypocritically, uh, discriminating, being unsympathetic, talking bad about others, complaining, swearing. He gets all of those in there, but I want you to see there's a lot that James has to say beyond just chapter 3 about how you use your tongue. This is a major component of what he's dealing with. He goes on to talk about a lot of ways to use your tongue correctly. He talks about using it for prayer, using it to sing, using it to pray. And, and under prayer, you could list as he talks about seeking wisdom or seeking help for those in trouble, praying for healing, praying for requests, helping other people spiritually. There's a lot that James has to say about the tongue. And I want us to understand this is something that really ought to grip us as we think about Christianity. There's a passage in Luke, the 12th chapter, where Jesus is talking, and he says, The things that you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And the things that you've whispered in the ear, in the closet, he said, are going to be proclaimed on the rooftop. Now, I just want you to stop and think about that. If tonight, instead of a PowerPoint, we began to play a list of every word that came out of your mouth in front of this audience, would you want to stick around? I'm gone. I'm gone in a hurry. The Bible says there's a lot to think about when it comes to our tongue. In fact, Jesus says it this way in Matthew, the 12th chapter. Oh, generation of vipers, speaking here to the Pharisees, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil tre treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the days of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. You know, we talk a lot about justification. We talk a lot about condemnation. We talk about salvation and heaven and hell. And we talk about what it takes to be saved and obeying the gospel. But I want you to notice here, he didn't talk about baptism and those types of things. He said it's the words that you use that will either justify you or cause you to be condemned. Not just the foul language, but every idle word. That ought to grab our attention to say, hey, listen, there's more to this than I thought. God's taking record. God's taking count of what comes out of my mouth, and he hears these things. He says, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. To understand what we're dealing with here, it's not just the foul language, but it's everything that we say. He begins in James chapter 3 there, by talking about the tongue being a fire. And he describes it as a fire because it behaves just like a fire. In verse 5, he says, Behold how large a fire came from a little spark, that idea. I don't know if you're familiar, but earlier this year in Oklahoma, 360,000, is that right? Yeah, I think 360,000 acres burned up in wildfires. The largest of those fires was 286,000 acres. And one fire consumed 286,000 acres. Do you know how it started? A hawk flew into a power line and caused a spark. And it raged and it raged and it raged and it raged. That's the same idea James has here. He's going, it doesn't take a giant flame to cause problems. A little spark can turn into a great sweeping fire. Likewise, our tongue by saying one small thing can cause major problems. Notice, if you will, here, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 27 and 28. The Bible says, An ungodly man diggeth up evil. In his lips there is burning fire. 
a froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. You, you know these things because you've experienced these things on one side or the other at some point in your life. You've probably experienced someone whispering about you, trying to cause problems between you and another person, stirring up strife. You've seen that. And he's saying, listen, that little flake, that little spark can rage into a huge inferno. And this ungodly man that's digging up evil, that's exactly what he's doing. There is a fire in his tongue. One whisper, one rumor, one white lie, one juicy gossip can ignite trouble. And he said it's set on the health, or pardon me, pardon me, it's set on fire of hell. That phrase there literally means to cause a blaze or to ignite. And what he's telling us in James chapter 5 is that, that the sinful use of our tongue, when we use our tongue to say sinful things and cause problems, it's just like breathing out the very fires of hell. That's what you're doing. You're spreading the fires of hell through your mouth with an evil tongue. He said you need to be aware of how great a fire it can cause, that in your lips is the potential, the power to destroy people. He goes on to say it's a world of iniquity. It means an arrangement or how you're arranged. Your tongue reveals how you're arranged in your world. And we've looked at this passage a couple times this week. In Matthew chapter 15, beginning here in verse 18, he says, But the things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witnesses, blasphemies, blasphemies. Notice what he's talking about here. This whole idea that out of the mouth is eventually going to come out what's from in the heart. And he says, if your mouth is evil, if your tongue is evil, it's a world of iniquity. It's a world, your arrangement is filled with iniquity. That's the point. Your mouth is going to say exactly what's in your heart. You're not going to be able to fool it for very long. At some point, it'll come out in the arrangement of who you are will be shown. Notice, if you will, the things that he talks about that come out of the heart. The murders, the fornications, adulteries, theft. All that begins in the heart, but it proceeds out the mouth. And the idea is, number one, as we talked about last night, is to keep our heart with all diligence, but to watch our mouth. Because that's what's going to reveal our heart. The tongue doesn't act independent of the heart. They're tied very closely together. Consider here, if you will, Proverbs chapter 26, beginning here in verse 20. He says quite a bit about the talebearer. He says, where there is no wood, there is, the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceases. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost part of the belly. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart, whose hatred is covered by deceit. His wickedness shall be showed, showed before the whole congregation. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone it will return upon him. A lying tongue hateth those that are affected by it, and the flattering mouth worketh ruin. As he talks about these things, he says when we get rid of that evil type of talebearer, it's going to cause the fire to end. But if I don't get rid of that, it's just going to cause the fire to rage. If you've ever kept a campfire going, you know what you have to do is keep adding wood to it. If you want the campfire to eventually go out, you stop adding wood to it. That's what he's saying about our tongue and how we behave. 
If you want the fires to go out, you've got to learn to get control of your tongue. If you want fires to rage, that's what you've got to do. But notice what he goes on to describe the, the danger and the damage that the tongue can do. He says they're as wounds, and the individuals that do that, it's like taking a, a fine piece of china and covering it with rust or moss. That's the idea behind silver dross. A person that's doing this is a person of hatred. It's a person who is working ruin. We need to understand today the very power that our tongue has to destroy. And that's the point that he wants us to get in this first part of the book of James here, or this first part of this third chapter. That your, your tongue is extremely powerful. It has the power to destroy people, the power to ruin people, the power to hurt people, and cause problems that last a long, long time. We often think, well, it was, just a, it was just a joke. I didn't mean it. Wasn't that big a deal. I just wanted to say that real quickly. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have said that. You know, we can apologize and we can seek forgiveness and we can even be given forgiveness. But the damage that the tongue cost can last a long time. I'm sure many of you have heard of the illustration of a young boy who was saying mean things to his sister. And so the father, overhearing that, took the young boy aside and, and gave him a piece of wood, a nice piece of wood. And he, he gave him a bunch of nails. And he said, I want you to drive those nails into that wood. And when the boy was finished, he said, I want you to pull all those nails out now. And when he did, the father pulled him aside and he said, look at this piece of wood. It doesn't have nails in it. They've been removed, but the scars are still there. And that's what your words are doing to your sister. That's what our words do to our friends, to our family. That's what our words do to people that are lost that we need to reach out to with the gospel of Christ. If we're not careful how we use our tongue, it can set a world of iniquity on fire. We're breathing out the very fires of hell. He goes on to say that it can defile. Not only does it cause problems for the others, but it causes problems for me because it reveals my heart. The scars are still there, and they'll never go away. We leave them there no matter if we're forgiven or not. Growing up, out to get out to where I grew up at, there was a road that drove up to the entrance, and just before you turned into that entrance, there was a little bridge that you had to go over. It wasn't a bridge that you went up above. It was where they kind of dug a tunnel in underneath the, the road there, and they put concrete on both sides of it. And when I was about 14 years old, a fella was driving way too fast and fell asleep at the wheel one night. And he went off the side of the road, and he was going fast enough that he cleared the road underneath it. Here's the bridge and the road underneath it. He cleared it this way and hit headfirst into the concrete on the other side. He was going fast enough that he left scars in the concrete that you could still tell where the headlights and the grill were at. And I know it was there at least 20 years later. I haven't been back since then, but I know at least 20 years later that scar was still there. That's the idea of our tongue defiling us. It leaves stains on us. It leaves scars on us that are going to be there long after the forgiveness is granted. Notice, if you will, here, James chapter 1 and verse 26. The Bible says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. This ought to grip, grip each one of us. We're talking this week about exercising ourselves to godliness, becoming holy because God who called us is holy, becoming righteous. And here's what James has to say. Listen, if you can't control your tongue, if your tongue is unbridled and you just let it run and, and you spread these fires of hell, 
your religion is vain. And here's where that word vain means useless or empty. I want you to really contemplate on that. You young folks, as you think about growing up and learning to have the right speech in your mouth, the speech that edifies and glorifies and not tears down, notice what he, how James, through the, the Holy Spirit, through the hand of James, I should say, tells us that our mouth is tied directly to our religion. That if we're just going through the motions, but our mouth is uncontrolled, he said it's vain, it's useless. Notice again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, where the Bible says to you and I, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of the mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Here we have the opposite. We're told not to use our tongue to spread these fires, but in Ephesians, he gives us exactly what we're to use our mouth for. He said no corrupt communication, but only communication that's good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. You can probably hear in your mind right now hateful words that have been spoken to you at some point. Mean things that people have said to you that cut you to the quick. You can probably also hear in your words or hear in your mind words that you've said. You hit them behind a smile pretending it to be a joke but you know it was going to hurt them to hear it. And you took pleasure in it. You've done that. I've done that. We've used our tongue at times in extreme ungodly ways. And we've hurt a lot of people with that. Well, James said it is an unruly evil. That word, that really means unrestrainable. The unrestrainable part isn't the tongue, but rather the evil that it creates. Once it goes out, you can't take it back. You can't control the damage after the words have been spoken. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a broken, or pardon me, a breach in the spirit. You've had your spirit broken by somebody's words, haven't you? Kids, I want to tell you, parents, we, we make a lot of mistakes. And I'll plead guilty to being the kind of person that's used my tongue wrong and broken my children's spirit at times. That was wrong of me as a parent. Not just these young people, but it's us parents too that can learn to, to use our tongue right. When we use it in such a way to hurt people, what we're doing is putting a break in the spirit. And Folks, just because it's not a wound that you can see doesn't mean it's not a very real wound. A wound that hurts people and stays with them. You know, a lot of people in the world today are struggling with this idea of self-image and self-esteem. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. We're going to look a little bit with our young people about getting a biblical view of self-esteem. But, you know, one of the big problems with that is the words, the cruel, mocking, hurtful words that people say to one another that cause people to doubt their worth. We've all been guilty of that. And we've been guilty of receiving it on the other side. We see what James is saying here, that the tongue is an unruly evil as it lashes out with these mean, cruel, hateful things, innuendos, sarcasm, lies, bitterness. All those things betray what's in our heart. He goes on to say it's a deadly poison. A deadly poison. It just amazes me to stop and think about what's in your mouth right now has the potential to be a deadly poison. If I had a bunch of pills up here that were poison pills and I passed them out, would you willingly put them in your mouth tonight? I wouldn't. 
But that potential is in your mouth right now tonight. He says the tongue is the potential of a deadly poison. Notice these three passages here. He says there is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, health to the bones. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Notice he begins, or the way we've arranged this, is to show us the power of the tongue like a piercing sword. We use the phrase, those words cut. Those were a cutting statement. That's what he's talking about here, using our words in such a way to pierce, to wound somebody. And then he says, but they could be health to the bones. And we look here in Proverbs 18, he sums it up by saying, listen, here's the power of your tongue. Here's the ability that your tongue ultimately has. It has the power of both life and death in it. To help others or to wound others. And as we examine ourselves thinking about becoming godly and exercising ourselves to godliness, we need to understand the power that's in our tongue that we can help or we can hurt with it in a grave way and that it matters to God. In fact, he brings it down to this and says the tongue's uncontrollable. He says no man can tame it. And I want us to understand when it says no man can tame it, he's not talking about the tongue is unable to be tamed. He's saying no man can do it. In and of ourselves, we lack the strength and the ability. But as Galatians 5 teaches us, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. The flesh here would include your tongue. He says, they that are Christ have crucified the tongue, have crucified the flesh, and are going to use it not in a way that they want to and their flesh wants to, but in a way that glorifies and honors God. And I think if all of us are honest with ourselves, this is an area that's very challenging. As I put the PowerPoint up tonight, Yancey told me I was going to get in trouble. He said I was going to get on to everybody tonight, myself included. The reality is, is all of us struggle to some degree in this. And it's certainly an area that we all need to be honest with ourselves and begin to look at and say, have I exercised myself towards godliness? Am I putting in the holy sweat to become the kind of person God called me to be that my tongue is used in the way that glorifies and honors God? James goes on in the last few verses there, 9 through 12, and he paints this picture of inconsistency. And the key point that he's making is the key point that we've been making over and over, the disconnect between saying I'm a Christian and not living as a Christian. The disconnect between saying I'm a Christian and I go to church, but I don't think like a Christian. And it's the same thing James is saying. You can't call yourself a Christian. You can't call yourself a disciple if there's this great disconnect between that and how you use your speech. He says there's an illustration of a spring. He says one fountain doesn't produce two kinds of water. Even in the sea where fresh water meets salt water, there's a division. You can see that line very clearly. Anywhere you go to the coast where fresh water flows out into salt water, you're going to find a division because the two won't mingle together. That's James's point, that there ought to be a clear distinction in how you speak and how you use your tongue and how the world uses their tongue. As I consider exercising myself to godliness, I have to look at this and say, is this how I live? That my mouth is clearly distinct, that people can see how I speak and what I speak about and how I speak to other people, that there's something different about me? Or do I just blend in with the rest of the world? He said, we ought not to be that way. 
We ought to be the kind of people whose lives stand out. Notice, if you will, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. The idea that he's striking at here is that there ought to be a deep well in us of righteousness, of holiness, of purity, a deep well of godliness that I've exercised myself to so that what comes out of my mouth comes out of that deep well. He goes on in verse 20 and 21 and says, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You know, the reality that I want us to take from this tonight is that in our tongue is a great power to cause pain or to lift people up. I want you to think for just a little bit as you consider your life and looking at how you've used your tongue. Is it that clear distinction? Have you been exercising yourself to godliness? Listen, we know this matters to God. Jesus has already told us that by your words you're going to be condemned and by your words you're going to be justified. That's kind of a terrifying thought to a tongue that's unrestrained. That's a very terrifying thought to a tongue that's not been exercised to godliness. But a tongue that's been exercised to godliness can stand before God saying, I've yielded myself and I've yielded my life completely and totally to you, including my tongue. How can I call myself a Christian if I don't speak like a Christian? How can I call myself a son of God if I don't use the language that God uses? I'm not talking about King James language here. I'm talking about speaking the way God would speak about the things God would speak about. Notice Romans 6 and verse 13, a passage we referenced on Sunday. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin... But yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You know, your tongue is what part of the members of your body that he's talking about here. Yield your whole body, every member, every fiber of you. You know, I told you James was mean and I believe this is what, he's talk, or what I was talking about. James wants you to know it's not just, hey, don't say bad words. It's about yielding your tongue completely and totally to God. Does that describe you? Or is it of the world? Is it filled with that unruly evil that's spreading fire? You know, as I pause and think about it, so many church problems boil down to the way people speak to one another. So many relationships problems boil down to the way people speak to one another. Now, I know churches go off and split over a thousand different things and they claim it was this or it claim it was that. But if you trace it all the way back, it usually boils down to two brethren that weren't using their tongue in a godly way. And it started a fire that raged and ripped through a body. Marriages are ruined because people won't learn to use their tongue in a way that glorifies God. Houses are broken apart Friendships destroyed. I think you guys are old enough to understand what we're talking about. You've seen it already. What we have to decide, am I going to exercise my tongue in that way? 
So how do I exercise my tongue towards godliness? What are some things, some specific things that I can begin to do? I want to share four with you as we can move to closing up this evening. Just four things that you need to have in your mind about controlling your tongue. Beginning with here in Psalms chapter 17 and verse 3. The Bible says, Thou hast proved mine heart, thou hast visited me in the night, thou hast tried me, and shall find nothing. I am purposed in my mouth, I'm, pardon me, I'm purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. The very first thing I want you to understand, if you're going to exercise your tongue to godliness, the first thing you have to do is take accountability and responsibility for what comes out of your mouth. He said, I have purposed that my mouth shall not sin. I find this passage here by the psalmist to be very amazing. He says, listen, I, I know you've tested my heart, that you've visited me in the night, and you've tried me, and you've found nothing. I don't think this is his arrogance. I think this is his surrender. Saying, I've yielded myself to you completely and totally. I'm not perfect, but I've yielded my life. And he gets down to this point, even my tongue is yielded to you because I'm purposed that my mouth will not transgress. Have you made that commitment that you're going to be responsible for what comes out of your mouth? Listen, I want to tell you, you, you are responsible for it whether you recognize it or not. I want you to imagine if someone followed you around all day and just wrote down everything you said and you had to read it at the end of the night. Someone is doing that. And his name is God. He has a record of every word that's come out of your mouth. And by your words you will be condemned and by your words you'll be justified. That's what Jesus said. If I want to exercise myself to godliness with my tongue, the first thing I need to recognize is that I'm responsible for those things. I'm accountable for those things. I can't blame it on my parents. Well, that's just the way we talked in my house growing up. That's how I learned to communicate. Well, you don't understand what the situation was like. You don't understand how mad I was. You don't understand how bad that hurt. You don't understand what they said to me first that made me respond that way. None of those things matter. You have to purpose that your mouth will not transgress, that you're going to be responsible for those things and not look for a way out. The first exercise is probably the hardest of standing up and saying, these words are words that I'm going to own and be responsible for. Secondly, looking in Psalms chapter 19 and verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, O Lord, my strength, my redeemer. The second thing I would tell you you need to do if you're going to exercise your tongue towards godliness is not only take responsibility and accountability for your words, but then secondly, purposely ensure that your words are acceptable to God. Whether you're standing in front of a large group of people or whether you're standing with just a few friends, or you're in the closet whispering in the ear, you need to recognize God's listening. And it's not just one person. It's not just the people I can see that are hearing this. God's listening. And God, whatever comes out of my mouth, I want to be acceptable to you. I want it to be pleasing to you. I want it to be glorifying to you. You'll stop and think about some of the things that have been said to you that hurt, that cut you to the quick, you would recognize those are not things that glorify God. They built nobody up. But at the same time, you'll recognize the things that you've said about other people weren't acceptable to God. You know, I, one of the things that we like to do is tell ourselves that 
we're not really gossiping. We're just sharing information so that you would know. I don't want you to be ignorant of this, brother. You need to know this. No, you don't. We're gossiping. We're guilty of that. We do those kind of things and we put all these masks and try to dress it up and try to make it sound. Oh, listen, I don't want you to know all the details, but I need some counsel, so let me tell you what they said to me. And all those are just a bunch of lies that we're telling ourselves so that we get to run someone else down, that we can spit out the fires of hell towards someone else. And we need to understand, number one, we're responsible for that. And I'm going to do the exercise. I'm going to do the work to stand before God and take accountability. But secondly, I'm going to do the work to stop my mouth when the things that are going to come out of it are not acceptable to the Lord God. Number three, Psalms 39 and verse 1. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with the bridle while the wicked is before me. So not only am I going to be responsible for it, not only am I going to seek to glorify God with my mouth and make sure that it's acceptable to God, but I'm going to take ultimate control. I love that he uses the same ideology that James talks about of putting a bridle in the mouth. I don't know if many of you have been around horses. If you've, I know you've probably all seen a horse. I don't know if you've ever been able to stand next to a horse. Those are some mighty animals. They're strong, they're fast, they're powerful. But a simple bridle in the mouth renders them tameable. That's the principle James is talking about. Now, not only do I need to be accountable, not only do I need to, to strive to glorify God and make my speech acceptable to God, but lastly, I need to put a bridle in my mouth that I take control of it. We've talked about you control you that it's about the decisions and choices you make through prayer, through meditation, through fasting, through accountability. You can learn to take control of your mouth by putting a bridle in it. By having someone look at you and say, what you said isn't positive. What you said isn't uplifting. What you said isn't glorifying to God. It was mean. It was hateful. It was the very fires of hell. You know, that would hurt. But maybe that's what you need. Whatever it takes to get control of that tongue so that it's not raging that way. Lastly, I believe that exercising this, not only do I purpose that I'm going to be in control of my mouth, that I'm accountable for it, not only do I make sure that my mouth glorifies God and thirdly put a bridle on it, I believe that we ought to talk to the Lord about our tongue. David says here in Psalms 141 in verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. David's prayer was from strength from God to keep his mouth. I tell you, it would be a good thing for you and I to spend time in prayer talking to God about the things that come out of our mouth. Have you ever done that? Ever spent time before the creator of your very tongue and said, God, I want you to put a watch on me to watch me and I want you to put a door on my lips and I want you to keep that door I need your strength I need your help for this exercise I need your ability to be the kind of person you want me to be listen we've all learned most of our life that we can bite our tongue at times and not say things but a lot of us take a little bit of pleasure. Well, I just say what I think and everybody knows where I stand like that's a badge of honor. It's not what God said. God said if you don't bridle your tongue, your religion 
is vain. It's not easy to take a wild horse, a stallion, and break it. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. I grew up on a ranch. We broke horses. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of getting thrown off. There's a lot of broken bones. There's a lot of bruises. There's a lot of pain that goes with it. But you know, if you stay after it, after a while, that horse is tame and rideable. Your tongue needs a bridle. And it might take some broken heads and some, some broken pride, but your tongue is tameable. It may take some time, but it can be done. The question is, are you willing to put in the exercise to become godly with your tongue? That's what true righteousness and true holiness calls us to. As we conclude the sermon this evening, I want to extend to you the invitation of Christ Jesus. If you've looked at your life tonight as we've considered these things and understood that you've not used your tongue in a way that glorifies God, you've not sought to build others up, but you've used your tongue to wound and to hurt and to maim, you need the prayers of the church on your behalf. We stand ready to help you, not that we have any power other than to simply take your need to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and He can help you. He can set that watch and keep you. If you have a spiritual need in another area this evening, we want you to know that Christ stands calling to you, ready to meet whatever need it is that you have. And we'd love to be your humble servants and help you take that need to Him. Simply need to know by asking you to have a seat on either of these front pews as we stand now to sing this song.